Almost every morning as I make my way into work, I travel down 16th Street, right down to here. And I have to confess when I'm seeing on the news and everything, they're talking about the road to the White House. I'm thinking, what, what's the big deal? Every morning is the road to the White House. <laughs> and 16th Street is a fascinating street to get to observe every single day. The buildings, the embassies, the Masonic temples, and the many churches. And there's one particular intersection that I always kind of pause and, and take in as I drive past it, which is where Columbia and 16th and Mount Pleasant all come together, and you get three churches all facing each other. These three steeples that are of a similar proportion to each other, but very different architectural styles. One of them is a Baptist church. One of them is a Unitarian church. And the third one, which looks like a spaceship, was built by the LDS church. Interestingly, they brought all of the stones for that church from Utah. And now it is actually run by the Moonies. And I understand you can go inside and see it these days. But I haven't been inside any of these churches yet, though I look forward to experiencing them. But all of the houses of worship that this city uh, gets to host, um, there's so many beautiful places, and it's worth thinking about what that means. You know, we think about these places as being a place where God can be found. And some people think about it as if this is where God dwells, which is the tradition you know, that comes back from the early days with the temple in Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God. But I think it's more helpful to think of these sanctuary spaces, these holy places, as places in which God can be discovered a little bit more readily, perhaps, than in other places. We come into a room like this, and hopefully the Spirit opens our eyes to behold the holy that is actually around us at all times and in all places. And this fits with the season that we are now in the midst of, the season of Epiphany, one of my favorite seasons. You've been hearing me talk about this in recent weeks. Christmas, of course, is the season in which the light has come into the world, but Epiphany is the season when we behold that light. And we let that light change, transform us. And the reading that we heard, the gospel reading this morning, is a reading about the light being discovered. Jesus, the light of the world, is here, and he is for the first time seen and recognized, beheld. The four different gospels have different ways of telling the story about Jesus. And they include different details, and you may be surprised to realize that only two of the four talk about the birth in, with Joseph and Mary and no room at the inn and the, the child in the manger. We don't get any of that in the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of John. And here this morning, what we just heard, we're only 29 verses into the first chapter of John, and Jesus is already a grown adult, and he comes onto the scene We've heard about him already in the Gospel of John, but only in a cosmic way. You remember those words, in the beginning was the word. That is Jesus, the cosmic Jesus. But here he is as a man of the flesh, walking 
into the scene and John the Baptist who has already been proclaiming his coming is right there on cue he sees Jesus come and he proclaims you can imagine with a very loud voice here is the Lamb of God this is the Messiah the anointed one the one I have been telling everyone about and John has disciples already at this time now a disciple back in those days sometimes was described as being one who was covered in the dust of his master one who was covered in the dust of his rabbi the image was that a disciple was following their rabbi so closely they were right behind and the sandals kicking up the dust covered them with the dust of the person that they followed the teacher that that they revered and so John has disciples like this and isn't it interesting that when he proclaims Jesus and he points to him two of his own disciples immediately just turn they stop following John and they instantly start following Jesus and those two disciples they get to ask the first question that we get in this gospel put to the Messiah imagine if you were in the position of these disciples and you could ask any question what would you ask maybe you'd say something like what is the meaning of life but they don't ask a question like that they say where are you staying I kind of imagine that maybe they were uncomfortable maybe they didn't know what to say and that's what first came out where are you staying but as often happens with Jesus in these uh, question and answer experiences he turns it into a teaching with just three words he says he doesn't tell them where he's staying he doesn't say I'm staying at 15th in Vermont he says come and see and the gospel writer tells us they came and they saw this is the epiphany the epiphany isn't hearing about Jesus the epiphany isn't seeing a description about him or a picture or even gaining some kind of understanding the epiphany doesn't really happen until you follow the revelation the opening of your eyes doesn't happen until the opening of your heart happens when you move your feet in the way that Jesus is when you become a disciple of his covered in the dust of his sandals as you follow closely the same footsteps Martin Luther King made a good point back in 1954 before he was known as a famous civil rights leader when he was just a pastor preaching a sermon at a Baptist church in Detroit he said it is possible to affirm the existence of God with your lips and deny his existence with your life I believe you can actually take this even further the converse is true I believe if you affirm the existence of God with your life with the way that you live the way that you move and walk you will know the existence of God and you will know the true Jesus even if you don't have the, those words on your lips we are here at a time that is a challenging time for many I think we're seeing and experiencing how racism sexism 
homophobia, nationalism, these things are on the rise, and it feels like a darkness. I think you could also make a case that what's happening is eyes are being opened to something that's been there for a while and needs to be seen and to be addressed. One thing that Dr. King, though, would point out is that the only way that we're going to change minds is if we first work to change hearts. It's not going to happen through logic and through conversation, but through something even more profound, something bigger than us, but something that has been entrusted to us, something that gave him hope. And in a word, that is love. We just, many of us, just heard a fascinating talk about the life of Martin Luther King in our forum a minute ago. Um, it was a sobering conversation to learn about the challenges that he faced, the struggles that he was up against, which took a toll on him personally. But what he taught and what he did, it lasts, even beyond him and his mortal life, because he was touching those things that are eternal. With a prophetic nature that he had, he did have an understanding that is rare for many of us humans, knowing the difference between what is eternal and what passes away, what is truth, what is right, and what is not. And he had hope. He had hope. Harold Lewis, one of the great African-American Episcopal preachers um, of our church, who in interestingly wrote the text of the hymn that we're going to sing later about Martin Luther King, he points out that Zechariah's word for people of faith is prisoners of hope. I think that that is a phrase and an understanding that resounds on a day like today. We are called to be prisoners of hope. And what does that hope look like? It's found in an, a certain kind of godly love. Now, the word love, we use that word loosely, and we use it to describe many different kinds of things. But the kind of love that King talked about, agape love, was the kind of love that is described as being self-giving love. Love where you realize that we are all one, ultimately. We are connected to one another. In his words, he said, Agape is not a weak, passive love. It is love in action. In the final analysis, agape means recognition of the fact that all life is interrelated. All humanity is involved in a single process, and all men are brothers. To the degree that I harm my brother, no matter what he is doing to me, to that extent, I am harming myself. He said famously elsewhere that hate cannot destroy hate. Only love can do that. And when he received his Nobel Prize, he said, I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. So when we see these churches when we see these beautiful steeples that are pointing upward, we should remember that if we are just looking up 
all the time. We may miss the reality that God has come to be here on our level among us. And for us to discover, discover God present, to really understand and receive and have God's reality be revealed to us, it is simple. We are being asked to come and see. Amen.